All right, guys, we are live. Welcome to the Baxter Riches Podcast. I'm Zach Ginn, your host. I quitted my minimum wage bag boy job to pursue the riches of real estate investing at the age of 17 and never looked back. I'm here to educate and inform entrepreneurs, young and old, how to become complete real estate investors by talking to some of the best and most influential minds of real estate. I'm joined by our guest today, Jamil Gibbs. Jamil is a real estate investor, speaker, coach, creator of the REI Education Academy, a comprehensive education platform, 100% dedicated to real estate investing, and most importantly, he is a father and a husband. Originally from Brooklyn, New York, doing lots of deals there, moving over to his market right now in North Carolina, he is on a mission to scale up his business from three to six million dollars. How's it going today? What's up, man? How are you today? I'm amazing. Awesome, I'm man. Black, so. it's, it's, it's great to feel amazing every day, isn't it? Oh, yeah. In, in this business, you know, you got highs and lows, but, you know, I'm always, I'm always on, a, on a high up there. So, you know, compared Absolutely. to where I started to where I'm at now, I can't complain. Awesome, man. It's a, it's a, it's a fun ride. You know, obviously, like you said, um, it's, a, it's a ride that you can, you know, for me, I appreciate the fact that you can really set a goal and know that as long as you work toward that goal, you can accomplish anything. Uh, of course, you're going to have hurdles. Uh, it, it can be a roller coaster ride at the same time. But, you know, at the end of the day, uh, it's, it beats working for someone else. You know that you're doing something for yourself, your family, and also making sure that you can really uh, play a major role in changing the trajectory of your life as well as your family's life as well, man. So, you know, there's, there's nothing like owning a business, you know? Definitely. Definitely. So uh, let's start with the cliche thing. I know you were into barbershops in that business. How did you go from that into real estate investment? Well, wow, we're going back to the barbershop days, huh? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> awesome, man. So I am, um, you know, just to give you a little bit of uh, a brief summary about, you know, where I've been in my life. My mom started me on a newspaper route when I was seven years old. Um, by the time I was nine, I started cutting hair. My, my uncle taught me how to cut hair. Uh, by the time I was 10, I was charging $5 to, uh, for a haircut. Um, and then from there, uh, I also learned how to play checkers. So I used to hustle people in checkers when I was a kid, still undefeated to this day. <laughs> but um, by the time I was 14, I started working in a barbershop um, under a master barber. Um, and by the time I was a junior, Going into my senior year in high school, I owned my first barbershop with a, with a business partner. Um, shortly after that, after I graduated high school and everything like that, I went down to Wall Street and uh, I worked as a cold caller on Wall Street. I, I became a, an account opener at a spot trading currency, uh, currency spot trading firm, which, you know, today they're, they're closed down after 9-11. And then shortly after that, I got into real estate. So... I went from the barbershop to um, the uh, Wall Street lifestyle to getting into real estate. I went and got my license as a real estate uh, agent. I became a broker after a year. But um, around the time I got my license, I started meeting up with investors as well. And I quickly realized where the real money was at. In my opinion, you know, the real money is in investing. Even though it took me 13 months to get my first check in real estate, um, I knew that real estate investing could change the game for me. And that's exactly what it did. 
So that's how I made that transition over from where I was to, to uh, getting in, into real estate. I, I don't want to sound naive, but I, I'm, I've been in Brooklyn before. I've been in New York City. And your first deal in Brooklyn. So were you wholesaling like apartments there? I mean, I, I, I'm not, I don't really understand that. Area. Great question, man. So believe it or not, my first deal, and I didn't know it was considered to be wholesaling. I, I was in real estate before real estate was cool. <laughs> and um, I was in real estate before they, they used terms like wholesaling. So we're talking back in 2002. Um, but actually, it wasn't even a house. It was a, a business that I wholesaled. Oh, wow. A guy that was uh, looking for a sandwich shop. And, uh, you know, you, you figure everyone in Brooklyn likes sandwiches, right? So <laughs> I, I knew someone who, who um, they wanted to buy a sandwich shop. And I knew a guy who was selling a sandwich shop. So all I did was put the two together. I got paid $1,500 for it. And that's, that's kind of how I, I, I got the start. I really, you know, at the end of the day, I really didn't know what I was doing. I didn't have a mentor. I didn't have the education or anything like that. It was really done unintentionally. I got into real estate investing. Um, it, it wasn't done on purpose. It was done uh, unintentionally. And then I thought to myself, okay, if I can do that with a business, I can probably do that with houses as well. So that's how I got got started in the uh, in the real estate business. Definitely. And did you start, you know, building your massive company that you have now in North Carolina or in New York? Well, I bought a. Uh, I did my first couple of deals in New York, and you know, I don't know if you know my story, but I I, I was living in the projects when I first started, and um, it wasn't until I made my first forty eight thousand dollars. So we're talking a few months after that fifteen hundred dollar check. I brought home 48 grand on one deal in Brooklyn. It was a million dollar house. And I was like, this is incredible. Um, it wasn't until then where I really became a believer in the business. And I really said, okay, I can do this. Um, so I, I did a couple of deals in New York, but then I, I moved to Pennsylvania and that's where I really cleaned up. I started investing in Pennsylvania around 04, 05, around that time. And I bought a, several hundred houses from 05 into 08. And the way I started in that was I, I met up with a private investor and it took me some time to really build a relationship with her. She was introduced to me uh, through uh, one of my, uh, I guess you wouldn't call him a mentor, but he was, he was a real mentor to me. His name is Steve DiPalantino. And uh, he was doing mortgages and he was a real estate investor and cleaning credit at that time, doing a little bit of everything, but he owned 120 rental properties. And I met him because I called on one of his newspaper ads. So I'm, I'm kind of aging myself right now. People <laughs> are using newspaper ads. I called on one of his newspaper ads on a property he was advertising. And I said, I, I was interested. I was honest with him. I said, look, you know, I know a little bit about investing. I'm coming from New York, but I really want to uh, purchase this property and, and get my investing career started. Um, Steve, honestly, he took me under his wing and just showed me everything that I know today. Um, you know, long story short, Steve, uh, it, he showed me that I needed to buy, fix, and then rent the property out and then do a refi cash out on the property okay. to get my money back out and then continue to do the same thing. So that's exactly what I did from 05, uh, from 04 into 08. I uh, bought, I fixed, and I refi cashed out on properties. And that's basically how I really got my start and how I, you know, I, I made a, my, I had a, 
my first million dollars by the time I was 25 years old uh, from the time I started, which took me four years to, to really get it, get it going. So that's how I, that's what I, that's how I started. And that's what I did to, to get into real estate, get my foot in the door. And can we bring up some of the tragedies you had after that? And you, you lost all the money. Is that true? Yeah. So okay. from 05, from 04 to 08, I really cleaned up. You know, we, we bought millions of dollars in property. We uh, made a lot of money doing it. And I was living a high life at that time. <laughs> if you can imagine being in my early to mid twenties, you know, bringing in $50,000 a month, it was incredible to me from having nothing. So um, in my mind, you know, I'm still new to business. So in my mind, this stuff is never going away. But I ended up uh, around 08, when the market tanked, 07, 08, things really started to change for me. And it was primarily because um, I didn't know what I was doing. I never experienced a market shift before. Mm -hmm. And, you know, honestly, I, I pretty much lost everything. I was bankrupt by, the, by 2009. And um, from all of that money that I made uh, over the years, it was all gone literally overnight with the, within a snap of a finger. Um, and it was primarily because I was over leveraged on properties. And the only reason I was over leveraged, even though I had equity in some of those houses, when the market tanked and I couldn't refi cash out and I had all of that private money out there, um, having too much leverage isn't always a good thing. And uh, that's basically how I went belly up. And eventually, and so, you brought that back up. <laughs> yeah, so it took me eight months. You know, um, I've always had the drive. I've always had the, the experience. Um, I just needed to get out there and really pick myself back up. It was devastating, man. It, there was a point in time where I came home and the lights wouldn't even cut on. So I, I needed to... Um, scrape up some money to get the lights cut on. And this is after having all of that money, you know, driving around in nice cars and stuff like that. I was really inexperienced when it came to having money. Um, so I didn't know what to expect when having the money. Kind of like, uh, you know, you see a lot of athletes, they grow up with nothing and, you know, they, they live in this fancy house and, and driving around in nice cars. Not saying that I was on an athlete level at that time in my life, but um, just kind of making the same mistakes, not being financially educated. Yep. I was forced to learn financial education a hard way. Yep. Um, so these days I'm a lot more conservative. You know, I'm doing a lot better than I was before. But at the end of the day, um, I'm just more conservative with how I approach things because I know what that experience was like and I know I don't ever want to live, live like that again. So um, it took me eight months to really get back on my feet. Eight months, almost a year, I was back over six figures. And then from that point forward, I, I just changed up the way I was doing things. Um, I started wholesaling, taking on less debt, uh, taking on less uh, leverage and started uh, becoming more of the middleman where I can, you know, back then I was doing REO properties, but uh, I would literally make offers on REO properties every day. I didn't need any capital because what I would do is turn around and wholesale those REOs before the bank started cracking down on that. Um, and then around 13, so I did that from 2009 to 2013. 
from 2013, I started becoming a little more creative with the way I was doing things. So I started introducing things like subject to and wraparound mortgages and owner finance. And I was doing a couple of lease options before that, but I really started incorporating that into my business as well from 2013 into today. And in addition to that, I did go back to, I, I always kept wholesaling in my business, but I did go back to uh, buying, fixing, but this time I would turn around and sell properties. So if I hold on to a property today, chances are it's done through a creative investment strategy versus uh, the buy, fix, uh, buy, rehab, the burn strategy that they, they, they call it yeah. today. They came out with the, with the term burn. But um, to me, that's a great strategy, but uh, especially if you're brand new in the business, you want to be careful because that's the exact strategy that got me in trouble when I was, uh, you know, when the market tanked years ago. Again, mm-hmm. you know, not having a financial education, uh, not seeing the market tanking, not seeing all yeah. of this stuff coming, the burst strategy is what really got me into trouble. Even though, again, I had equity in the properties, the problem was I was I had too much leverage out there because I was scaling too quickly and it really messed me up. So rather than doing something like, you know, let's buy two, let's buy four properties, wait till we get four and then start paying down to two and then buy two more. I was literally going, uh, buy, fix, rent, buy, fix, rent, buy, fix, rent, and then just refi cash out on everything and just getting as many as I can uh, at that time. So that's what really uh, got me into trouble. And I'm glad I'm a lot smarter this time. Now, in this market that we're in right now looks a lot like 2007. The only difference is uh, we don't have a lot of illegal activity going on like they did back then. So I don't, we, we I don't, don't see this market becoming... Um, I don't see this market tanking the way it did back then and, and everybody being in trouble, but you never know. I'm not, I don't have a crystal ball uh, to tell the future, but I will say that you know, at the end of the day, um, just expect it because the market, it's a, you know, it's a, it shifts, it's a cycle. It goes round and round and round. And uh, you know, at some point when the market is low, that's when you should be buying. When it's high, you should be selling. And it just, you know, you have the two sides as well where you're kind of riding the market up and then riding it down. So you just need to, to really understand market cycles, understand where the market is right now and kind of play it. Right now is a great time to sell. Right now is a great time to be in wholesaling. It's a great time to do pretty much anything right now, but you don't want to get caught out there having too much leverage at the same time. Definitely, definitely. I mean, we're, we're, we're looking at the market now. You know, you got a crazy Fed just keeps cutting rates. So you never know, but I mean, uh, it's definitely weird. It's election year. You know, everyone's predicting what 2% growth. I mean, that's, it's kind of low, but who knows? So, you know, what are you doing now to prepare yourself? I mean, you're, you're making lots of money now. How are you, are you reinvesting all your money or are you putting this money into passive income, not doing the burr? I mean, what, what are you doing now to prepare yourself? Well, I'm not doing a burr strategy right now. Uh, we do a lot of wholesaling and a lot of creative real estate investing. And we also sprinkle in a few rehabs a year now. We don't do as many rehabs as we used to, primarily because we were using uh, other people's capital to do that. Um, now, if you would have asked me that same question three years ago, I was doing a lot of rehabbing. It was just the right market for it. But I yeah. feel like we're starting to hit the peak of the market. So now we're not borrowing as much anymore. Uh, we're doing things that doesn't require any money 
and any credit. Wholesaling doesn't require any money. Creative real estate investing doesn't require any money. And none of those strategies require any credit. So that's what we're doing a lot of right now. A lot of wholesaling and a lot of creative real estate investing. And we'll sprinkle in, you know, a few rehabs a year as well. Now, the, the way you do your wholesaling, the way I do my whole, our wholesaling, uh, there is money uh, you have to spend. I mean, I'm big drawing direct mail. I know you're yep. a huge direct mail guy. We have students all the time telling me, I know I don't have to have any money wholesaling. How do I get five deals in the pipeline? I'm like, you're going to have to work for it, buddy. <laughs> if you don't spend any money, you're going to have to do all the sweat equity. And, you know, it, it's, all, it's all sexy saying wholesaling requires no money. But it's not sexy putting bandit signs out, driving for dollars, just cold calling hours and hours and hours. I mean, there's a smart way and obviously there's a hard way to do it. I mean, have you found that direct mail is the easiest way to get deals? Uh, in my opinion, you know, honestly, I'm a firm believer in direct mail. I believe that you should get good at one marketing channel and don't focus on, I mean, there's a lot of noise out there, a lot of guys who teach different things. You know, you have guys that teach you know, Facebook ads and pay-per-click. You have guys that teach, you know, you should do direct mail. You have guys that teach cold calling and ringless voicemail and, you know, text messaging. All of that stuff works. Anything works. But you have to balance out where you are in your life right now. You know, uh, when I first started, the MLS was the way to go. You know, we didn't really know much about sending out postcards and stuff like that. The MLS was where everybody got their deals. And I really cleaned up for the first nine years being in business, almost 10 years in business through direct mail. I didn't start sending out postcards until 11, uh, 2011, 2012, you know, but um, what I find right now, honestly, the MLS can be a great source right now as well because everyone else is focusing on um, direct mail and other ways of finding uh, motivated sellers. So my thing is do what, do the opposite of what everyone else is doing. Yes. Uh, now, I can't say that I do that right now because I don't. And I just gave myself an idea to, to possibly focus on MLS properties again. But what I say is get good at one thing, whether it be direct mail, whether it be at cold calling. But look at your situation where you are in your life right now uh, and, and really, uh, you know, judge where you are and then base what you're going to do off of that situation. Here's what I mean by that. In business, especially in real estate, you're going to invest one of two things. It's either going to be time or it's going to be money. Uh, you have, if you don't have the money, you have to invest the time. If you have the time, uh, if, you, if you have the money, then you don't necessarily need to invest the time. When I first started, I needed to invest time because I didn't have any money. I had $250 to my name. If I would have spent that money, I would have been dead broke. Right. So I needed to do door knocking. I needed to uh, pick up the phone and cold call. And the reason why that worked out well for me, besides the MLS, was because uh, I had that Wall Street background. So you really have to look at where you are in your life. You're going to have to put in that sweat equity, um, like Zach said, and you're going to have to make sure that you just keep pressing forward. Yes, when you're investing time, it takes a little longer to make it happen. But you have to remember you're planting seeds. And always remember the money is in a follow-up. So the more you follow up with people, that's how things start to happen, right? So if you have a little bit of money, let's say with direct mail, if you're in a larger city, you may want to consider, let's say you're in a city like Houston, Texas, or uh, New York City, or 
uh, maybe even Phoenix. Um, you know, you may want to look at a higher end budget, like a $3,000 per month budget to start because of all of the competition that's there. But if you're in a smaller area, let's say like my area, uh, where we're in like a, a, I guess you would call it a secondary city. It's not a major city. It's a median sized city. Uh, areas like Tampa, you definitely need a larger budget, but areas like, you know, where, where the population is around 300,000 or less. Uh, maybe even 500,000, depending on where you are. Um, you can really start with like a thousand dollar budget per month. Understanding that you may not see anything for a little while. Yes, you can get deals within the first couple of months, but you're not going to get that snowball effect for five, six months down the line. So when it comes to direct mail, you really got to prepare yourself to be able to spend money on your direct mail every single month for six months and act like you're not going to see a dime from it. So in this case, if you're in a median-sized city, you're probably going to need somewhere around 6000 bucks to spread out over a six-month time frame. Now, I'm not saying, again, that you're not going to get deals. That money will recuperate itself, but you want to pretend like you're not going to make any money and set that money aside. Now, on the flip side of that, if you're in a larger city, let's say a million, 800 to a million or more, you may want to set aside 18000 So you can see there's a difference there. Uh, but the point is, uh, that's going to be, uh, that's going to be able to help you grow, get deals, keep consistent track traffic coming into your business. And then ultimately allow you to get to where you want to go. You have to start somewhere and understand that you're planting seeds. So when you plant a seed, you don't expect the tree to grow within a day or within a month, right? You have to plant the seeds now, continue to follow up with people and then watch it sprout over time. And when it grows, it grows. It turns into this big snowball effect. That's how this thing works. But it takes a little bit of sacrifice in the beginning. Now, with, when, when you're investing time, on the other hand, it can take a little longer, but it doesn't cost you anything either. Uh, you can drive for dollars and stuff like that, but just understand, you know, you're gonna spend a little bit of money on postage um, when you're driving for dollars. So you will invest a little bit, but it's not going to be anywhere near where it should be. Now, the, on the flip side of that, Zach, you know, what, I find, what I've been finding over the past few months or so, uh, within the past year that I've been doing it, ringless voicemails, text messaging, stuff like that, you can literally send out a thousand ringless voicemails for like $60. So if you have a little bit of money and you want to get instant phone calls. I picked up four deals last week, spending $60 on a ringless voicemail campaign, right? So, uh, if you narrow down your, your list, your, uh, sellers list that you're targeting, we, we, last week we targeted vacant properties. You could do tax delinquents and, you know, different distressed lists, distressed leads. Uh, if you target the right people, You'll ultimately, if you target them and you uh, do a ringless voicemail campaign, you can really uh, get in contact with them and be able to uh, turn that into profits. Obviously, it's a numbers game like everything else, but you can turn that into profits relatively quickly and really get your phone ringing as fast as possible rather than waiting two weeks like you would with uh, direct mail. So that's just another tip for you as well. Yeah, that's great. Uh, quick uh, I have to disclaim this here. I'm in Florida. So RVMs are illegal in Florida. Yeah. Rick's three guys that he knows in his network of real estate investors, they have 
like 10 acquisitions people, cold calling office. They got slapped with uh, first a thousand bucks, and then 10,000 wow. bucks, $50,000. And then they got a six figure lawsuit slapped on them for TCPA. And you know, wow. they, they've cut it out. That's Florida. Yeah. Florida, you know, you, you do an RVM on one lawyer, you're done. So yeah, no, uh, quick disclaimer with that, and this is the add on to your disclaimer. You know, RVMs aren't illegal everywhere, but no. they are starting to crack down on it. So that's why I always say, you know, you don't want to focus on one, you don't want to focus on things that haven't been around and haven't been time tested as well. So although RVMs are working right now for us, although they're working for people across the country, that doesn't necessarily mean, because I did hear that they just passed the legislation where, um, I don't know if you, if you notice, if, if you have an iPhone, someone calls you and say they're from a company, it says potential spam on your phone now. Scam like That's what's happening with ringless voicemail right now. Um, you know, I'm going to continue to do it because we, we've been getting deals from it until they start cracking it down here. But, you know, for the most part, focus on things that's time tested, you know, direct mail, time tested, uh, cold calling takes time, but it's time tested, uh, pay-per-click, Facebook traffic, great way to, you know, find leads that are untapped, you know, with direct mail. A lot of people use direct mail as a lead source, um, with, uh, cold calling, you know, you have a lot of people calling these days, but pay-per-click is really untapped if you think about it. And these are leads that are not being bombarded by direct mail. They're not being called. They're finding you by being on Facebook. So it's just a, a, another great way. Again, do what everyone else is not doing to get a, a different result. Definitely, 100%. The only thing I would say, the only time-tested marketing strategy that you can't go all in. You say you should go all in with a marketing strategy. You know, it's time tested and it works. So we're all in direct mail. Direct we mail. do a little bit on the side. So when I started out real estate investing, I was 17. I had a lot more money than you. I had $300 in my bank account. Nice man. $50. And, uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, I went to Rick, I asked him, Hey, show me how to do this. You're, you're the master. And he's like, no, he said, if you want it bad enough, get your own deals. And you know, I went to this library, blah, blah, blah. I'll, I'll tell you the whole story later, but, Long story short, the only thing I can do was do bandit signs. So I was 17. I was putting, I was the bandit sign Nazi in my county. I put out <laughs> probably 50 bandit signs a week, every single week for a year straight. And I, I got three deals from it over 100K. You know, nice. I profit. That's great, blah, blah, blah. And so I had a lot more bandit signs I started ordering. Bandit sign police and, hit you? Um, here's the thing. So I was, there's no one doing bandit signs in this area. And I was getting so many deals. I was the only bandit sign guy, 50 a week. The problem is I had bandit signs everywhere. I started stapling on poles. I, I was going insane because there was not enough real estate to put bandit signs in. And right. they had a meeting one day at the County. And they said, this guy, the, the, you know, I'm not going to say the phone number, but I still have the phone number. This is the reason why we got to do it. So they beefed up. They hired five full-time employees for code enforcement probably 200 K they spent and their job was to enforce code and they cleaned it out. You stick a bandit sign in this County now within five minutes, it gets picked up, man. You made a statement. <laughs> you can't do bandit signs there anymore. It's a realtor, little realtor signs like for sale with the little flag, little pretty ones picked up, picked up, wow. picked up. So I went all so you out. You messed it up for everyone. That's a good thing, man. I did. So that's the problem with going all in on one marketing channel. Bandit, 
direct mail, the USPS, they make the government makes money on it. The more you do, the happier they are. But yeah. that's the only marketing channel I saw that if you go all in, you can get in trouble. Uh, but Bandit Sun Police don't know about me uh, unless they're watching this podcast. Uh, but you know, that's the only marketing <laughs> channel I found. If you go all in, you get in trouble. I've been but. fined. I stopped doing banner signs a few years ago because I've been fined like twenty two twenty thousand dollars to uh because I, I basically got fined five hundred dollars a sign at one point. So I just stopped doing it. Um, and I was doing it a lot before that, but I think they got fed up. Uh, but like you said, man, you know, there are plenty of other ways to do it. Direct mail is time tested. It's true to the game. And for me, for me, it's besides pay-per-click, it's the only thing that's scalable where you can literally, you know, your numbers, you know, if I spend this much, I'm expecting this much back. And that takes a little bit of time. But again, if you just set yourself up, plant the seeds, then you know what to expect over time. But that's the only way, in my opinion, to really grow your business. It's scalable and it's trackable uh, as well. So I know a lot of guys, you know, they, they like to brag. They did, oh, I did $2 million last year in revenue. And, you know, they got the flashy stuff like that. The reason why I wanted you on here too is you do over that and you're not flashy. I mean, you, not at you all. were flashy back, but now you're doing millions and, you know, you're wearing a t-shirt. No, no crazy Gucci, you know, you don't have no. the gold chains and anything like that and you're doing great. Um, so I want people to hit a reality check. They're going to have to get punched in the mouth here, like, like Mike Tyson said. You're do, you did over $3 million last year in revenue. And they're expecting to do that with a thousand dollar a month direct mail budget. Is that further? No, it's than not going to happen with that. Um, to do those type of numbers, you gotta, you gotta. I mean, it takes time. It's not going to happen overnight. Remember, it, it took me eighteen years of learning and making a lot of mistakes. You know, my thing is, if I spend, let's say, twenty thousand dollars on direct mail, I'm expecting a hundred back. So I expect a five x return. Okay, I'm right. So if you spend, <laughs> let's just say, fifty thousand dollars a month, you should be getting a quarter million dollars a month, which is how you're going to get to that three million dollars within a, within a year. That's that's really. I'm just thinking about my budget, and then comes five. I'm like that's almost spot on. Man, that that's great. Yeah, they people really should be doing that. They're expecting, I've had students before come to me and they say, okay, what's your goal? And like 500 K first month. And then, you know, 500 K every other month. I'm like that. I'm like, and then they show me their budget. I'm like, whoa. So you got to spend <laughs> in order to get 500 K per month, you got to spend hundred K per month. I, I know I, I tell them, <laughs> but yeah. So uh, let's fast forward now. Obviously you're not in Brooklyn anymore, you know, flipping sandwich shop, wholesale contracts. So what is your, million dollar multi-million dollar business looking like from the ground up so basically i mean if we go through we have uh three different departments we have an acquisitions we have dispositions and then we have um closing and pro uh, processing and closing as well um we have a closing coordinator so during the acquisition we have marketing as well but i i, I include that into acquisitions and i'll explain why so i have an acquisitions manager that's responsible to make sure that all of our marketing goes out every single week. Um, so he pushed, he pushed the button on uh, any type of marketing channel or he'll contact the, the uh, direct mail house that we're working with just to let them know, Hey, we, you know, every Monday send this out. So what we do is let's just say, for example, we send out, uh, let's say the week after next we'll do vacant properties uh, a vacant property list. So we'll pull all the vacants that are 10 years old. Uh, well, 
all the vacants where the ownership, the owner has owned the property for at least 10 years and they have 80 to 100% equity in the property. The property is at least 30 years old. So we pull all of those leads and we'll send that out there on the first week of the month. For every new list that we pull, we'll send out to that same list. We'll send a follow-up every six to eight weeks after that. Uh, the following month, we'll do, let's say, code violations. The following month, we'll do tax delinquent. The following month, we'll do probate. You know, and we just change it up to a different distress list. The following month, we might do water shutoffs. Um, you know, we do a different distress list every single month. And in between those sins, what we do is we have it structured to where if you call in our line uh, within five minutes, if you, if you don't leave a message, uh, if you do leave a message, you receive one type of text message back. And it'll say, hey, we noticed you called and left, left us a message. You know, do us a favor and leave your, uh, text us your information, property address, and all of that so that we can make sure uh, that we get back to you in a timely, timely fashion. If you don't leave a message, it'll say, hey, we, you, uh, we noticed you called us and you didn't leave a message. Uh, we were just reaching out to you, uh, letting you know that we we're interested in potentially purchasing more houses uh, in the area. We see that you have a house uh, that seems to be vacant or seems to be, you know, whatever the, the distress list is, seems to be under uh, tax distress or whatever the case may be. We really uh, specify it to their situation. Uh, and then we'll send a text message say, hey, if you're interested, just contact us and let us know. If you don't respond, then three days later, you receive a ringless voicemail. So that's where ringless voicemails doesn't necessarily become illegal um, because you're following up with them. They contacted you first. You're sending them a text message back. You're sending them a ringless voicemail back. Where as opposed to sending out a ringless voicemail first and then, you know, uh, blasting them uh, after that, that can be, I can see why that can be illegal. But then we just continue to follow up with them. We just put them in a follow-up sequence and we hit them, you know, six, seven different times within that month. And then we, we start fresh with another list while we're still following up with the other list. Again, we're sending them a follow-up letter every six weeks after, six to eight weeks after that. So uh, that's what we do when we're focusing on leads. Now, some of the front-end channels that we use are cold calling. We use, uh, I have a team of cold callers. Uh, we got to call at least uh, between each caller. We, we're trying to call about thirty to 40,000 people per month. Um, it takes a lot of people to do that, man. Um, so we, we do that on the front along with direct mail and along with pay-per-click, okay? And then follow-up, we use Ringless voicemail. We use uh, text messaging. And we just continue to we use a, a simple follow-up letter as well, which is handwritten. Uh, so that's all acquisitions. When the leads come in, then what we're doing is uh, I have Justin and Aubrey. They go ahead and they screen every single lead that comes in. Now, the way that I pay Justin, I pay him uh, $4 an hour. He's overseas. And I also paid him 5% of the deal. So if, let's say, for example, you know, a couple of weeks ago, he just got a, a deal we made $10,000 on. He gets paid $500 from that $10,000, which is 5%. So in addition to his, his, uh, in addition to his, uh, uh, $4 an hour that he gets his hourly wage, 
he also gets bonuses. So if he closes a hundred deals or a hundred thousand dollars this month, then he'll get paid five grand. You know, so it's it's really incentivizing him to want to do more deals. So they screen all the leads, they make offers over the phone. If the the property is in my local market, uh, because we we're in nine different markets as well. Um, if the property is in my local market, occasionally I may have to go out and actually see a property. I just went out to uh, see one just the other day. I filmed it. You can see, check it out on my on my Instagram. But um, I went out and filmed the property. Uh, and occasionally I'll, ha I'll have to talk to sellers. I like to talk to sellers when we're doing creative deals. I like to go out yep. and, and uh, have a belly to belly meeting with, uh, with the creative deals to make the seller feel a little more comfortable. When it comes to wholesaling is all in numbers, right? So they make offers over the phone or they'll see what the level of interest is for a creative real estate deal. Uh, and then we just kind of gauge it from there. If they accept the offer over the phone, we use DocuSign to send out a contract to uh, the property seller. The seller signs the, the contract online. Sometimes I never, ever, ever meet the seller in person. Uh, once, the, once we have the DocuSign, we send it, the, the agreements over to our closing attorney, and then the attorney takes it from there, and then he wires the money into our bank, or we just go pick up a check. These days, we, we do a lot of wiring. So that's what my wholesale business looks like. It's all about lead generating, it's all about screening the leads, you screen enough leads. We know for every, you know, um, 15 to 20 offers we make, we're going to get a deal. So the question is how many, how many times can we, how, how many leads do we need to come in in order to hit our target goal? If we know 15 offers will get us to deal, then how many times can we get 15 offers out? And then you can kind of predict how much money you're going to make from that point forward. I know that our average profit is eight to $10,000 per house. So it'll take me for every 15 offers I, I make, I'm going to make eight to $10,000. So if I can make a hundred offers in a month, you know, 150 offers, that's 10 deals. That's 80 to a hundred thousand dollars in profit. Does that make sense? So it's all in numbers. You just got to understand your numbers. You just got to track everything. And then after a couple of months, you kind of see where you are. Uh, you eliminate what's not working and you keep doing what is working and add stuff to it to test that as well. So you have to split test things to see what works, what doesn't work, and then just keep pressing forward from there. And, and that's basically what my business looks like these days. And how many acquisitions people do you have then for nine markets? Uh, we, well, I like to, for every $7,500 we spend on marketing, I like to have one acquisition specialist. Uh, typically per it'll take us $2,500 per, per, uh, per county. So I know that um, in my area, there's three different counties. So if we focus on, uh, let's say, three counties, that's going to take up one acquisitions manager, $7,500. Anything above that, it starts to get a little strenuous on the uh, acquisition specialist. So for three counties, which is three different markets, um, we like to, well, one, well, three, yeah, three different counties, which is uh, three different markets, we like to focus on. Uh, one acquisition specialist. And then after that, we, we get another acquisition specialist for the next $7,500. Now, I was doing some numbers. You mentioned that I was, and I, and I did tell you this, I was pressing to get to $6 million this year. And I have to be honest, man, I'm actually going to scale back now. And the reason for that is because I have some other plans. And I looked at my numbers and I looked at where I am right now. And I looked at what I'm really look, projecting to do in the future. and 
you know, my thing is to pick up more buy and hold properties when the market tanks. So right now we're just cashing up. But um, the reason why I'm just going to scale back a little bit is primarily because I don't want it to take away from my lifestyle. I created a lifestyle business where I can spend time and free. I can have my time, have my freedom, spend time with my family, do what I want. As you mentioned, I'm not a flashy guy at all by any means. Um, and I want to keep it that way. And I feel that training more people to uh, do more deals is not necessarily putting extra money in my pockets. Um, I can do less deals and make just as much money. So I'm going after quality of deals now instead of quantity of deals. You know, you can buy a thousand houses in a year and make $2,000 a house, right? And only do $2 million in business. But you can do, let's say, 50 deals and make $20,000 a house and you make 600 grand. You know, um, I'm going after quality versus quantity these days. I think that growing a business just for the sake of growing a business, you know, a friend of mine told me this, he said, the only reason you grow a business is for two different things. You're either going to uh, sell the business one day or you just want to stroke your ego. And I thought about that. And this was just not so long ago he told me that. And I really had a heart to heart with myself. And I said, do I really want to grow a business? I'm not necessarily going to make more profit from it, a little bit more, but it's not going to be a significant amount more. Do I really want to grow to a $6 million mark per year? Or do I want to stay lean and increase the profits per deal and really focus on quality? And that's what I decided to do. I'll have less stress. I'll have, uh, I won't have to train any new people and I'll make a lot more money uh, or at least the same kind of money with less, with, 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 with uh, doing less deals. So that's kind of, the, again, creating that lifestyle business. Um, creating that time and freedom, just remembering what my ultimate purpose is for being in this business in the first place. And it's not necessarily to, you know, yes, we want to make as much money as we can, make sure our family, our families are, are taken care of, right? But if I continue to grow my business, do I, how does that look? How do I look within 12 months, 24 months from now? Am I stressed out? I don't know. Um, but I'm not willing to take that chance at this point in my life. We have a newborn. She's seven months old. I have other kids. We're pretty well off. <laughs> you know, I don't necessarily need to grow my business to really sustain uh, what we're doing here. So I hope that uh, for those of you looking to scale your business, you know, just really think about it. I'm not saying that it's not a cool thing to scale your business. I, I, obviously, it is to run a $6 million business, right? Within 12 months. But just make sure it's what you want and not what Instagram wants and what social media wants and what your ego wants. Make sure it's something that you want or it serves a purpose for you at the end of the day. The biggest struggle I think that I had right now still, I, I think you might have had this before is I like to do deals and don't tell anyone about it. Just get my check, you know, put in the bank account, invest it, reinvest it. And now we started, you know, we're, I know you're doing this too. You're mentoring students. You're helping people become great real estate investors. And eventually we hit like a uh, crossroads where I need to show people I'm doing these massive deals so they know that I'm here to help them and not, I'm not helping them make $2,000 deals. I'm going to show like I made 50 K on this deal. Let me show you how. Yeah. And I think that's something you've started to do, to do also. You're showing people deals you're going to and making money. Uh, that, that's the hardest part. You know, I don't like being flashy. It's a balance. It. 
it definitely is. a balance, man. I, I struggled with that over the years. I, I have to be honest, I could have a, a, a much larger social media following if I showed more checks and I showed a little bit more lifestyle. I'm too personal and private to want to do that. But I get it. People want to see social proof. People want to see, you know, um, people want to see that you're doing well because people judge you with their eyes and by what you have rather than by what you know and what you're really doing. Unfortunately, there's a lot of people, and you know this, there's a lot of people on, let's say, Instagram, for example, who can rent cars or they can rent houses or uh, maybe they're not doing, they, they perceive as if they're really doing well when you look at, you know, and I know this for a fact because I know several people who's done this, I've never done a real estate deal before in their life and they're teaching people how to do it just because they went out and they bought a car or they rented a car to make it look like they were doing what they're doing, but they're not actually doing it. And then people, on it, they build this big following and then they start taking some of that money to go out and, uh, and actually do. But they do this by showing checks. They do this by, I'm, I'm too personal to show checks. I don't show any personal checks anymore. I stopped that a couple of years ago. Um, I do show student checks just to kind of show success from that. Uh, but you know, I don't necessarily, you know, this may change in the future. This is just me now. I don't show what type of car I'm driving. I don't show, you might see a little bit of my house in, in the videos, but I, you, you know, I don't show where I live. There's too many, uh, too many people out there snooping and trying to take advantage of people. Plus I'm trying to protect my family. People don't need to know how much money I make. People don't need to know uh, where I live, what I'm driving. Um, no. they, they should know that I provide great information and if you can gauge the videos by information and not see with your eyes, but you, you learn with your ears, then, you know, you can change your life in real estate as well. But I, like you said, man, there's a balance, you know, maybe I should show a little bit more for social proof um, because there's too many people out there doing it and, it's, and a new guys popping up every single week, right? There's a, there's a new educator popping up every week. Nothing wrong with that at all. But um, you know, what I'm saying is uh, people want to make sure that you're real. And unfortunately, the only way that they can make sure that you're real is by what you show or by listening to you over time and, uh, and, and seeing what your education is really like. But I get it, man. I, I get why people are like that. Now, I think on your Instagram probably a month ago, you showed the flashiest thing that no other guy can do. And I'll break this down for you. So most real estate investors that are successful, they go in two paths here. They got one Rick did and one the average guy does. So the average guy, you know, makes a million. And what they do is they leave their job and because they hate working nine to five, they can't be with their kids. And they go in the wholesaling business, they make a huge, huge company, and then they're consumed in that and they still don't spend time with the kids and they're doing the wholesaling. Got other guys that make the millions, you know, and they, they learn how to passively do it, have people work for them, and they spend time with their kids. That's the 1% of success, successful wholesalers. And the flashiest thing that no other guru has done was you went with your daughter to pick up a check. Most guys don't have the time to do that, to spend time with their family, pick up checks, show them things like that. I think that was the flashiest thing possible because most guys don't have the time to spend time with their kids. Awesome. Yeah, man. <laughs> um, I appreciate you bringing that up, man, because like, you know, I could show a, I could show a nice car, right? But everybody's showing nice cars. So why not show something that's real, more realistic that something can, somebody can really accomplish. You can teach your kids 
how to invest in real estate. You can go and help them pick up a, you know, in that case, it was close to $13,000 and my daughter is 14 years old. That is, it can be flashy, but to me, that's flash with class, you know, versus, <laughs> you know, showing this big, you know, this big house I live in or, you know, the, the nice cars parked outside or whatever the case may be, you know, the, the real, like you said, it's flash with class, you know, so I can, I have that time and freedom these days. You know, I can teach my kids this stuff. To me, that, that's what matters more than, you know, I, I know a lot of the younger generation, they want to drive around in the Ferrari or the Lambo, you know, um, not absolutely nothing wrong with it. By all means, go ahead and get it. But when you, when you grow a family, you kind of, your, your priorities change. Um, and, you know, that's just my opinion. So yeah, it probably is one of the flashiest things that I would have done, <laughs> um, you know, versus showing like some student checks and stuff like that. Or, you know, you might, you may see us on vacation You know, I, I'll show a little bit of vacation. Um, but you know, again, that's still kind of conservative in my, in my opinion. Okay. And I wanted to break down something else. I asked, I asked my dad, do you know who Jamel is? And he's like, didn't he lose all that weight? <laughs> and, and I just wanted to ask you a question. So did losing all that weight, getting really into fitness, did that help with your energy in the real estate investment side? Um, to be honest with you, man, my energy is still the same. And okay. here's what I mean by that. I've always been into bodybuilding. Um, so back in 2004, I won Mr. New York City. I was, uh, I, guess, I, I don't know if I, my phone is dead right now, but I'll, I'll show it to you at some, some later point. But I was Mr. New York City. I was shredded uh, down 175 pounds. I was a 4% body fat. And um, I've been bodybuilding at that time for about two, maybe two and a half years. I won my, within my first start of bodybuilding to doing my first show, it took me six months of diet and exercise and I won that first show. So that was back in 2003. I won Mr. Natural Mania, uh, natural bodybuilding shows. Um, so from two, I won that last show. Then I got married. My, my wife had the baby. I stopped body. I, I didn't stop bodybuilding. I stopped doing shows. Uh, but then around that time, I also hurt my back. So I literally gained, I went from 175 pounds to 285 pounds. And I was, uh, I was pretty heavy. I was, you know, if I show you some pictures, I look heavy, but for 285 pounds, I wasn't, I didn't look that heavy, you know. Yeah. Um, but then come around 2008, 2009, I started dropping weight. I went to the doctor one time and they told me I was borderline diabetic. Um, and that really hurt my ego a little bit because I was just shredded. I had, a, I had an eight pack, man. Never had one before in my life. So I started bodybuilding. And then I, I went to a keg from, from an eight pack. So, uh, you know, around 2008, I went to the doctor, borderline diabetic. I dropped 25, 20 to 25 pounds. And I fluctuated between 250 and 270 for about eight years, I want to say, up until 20, 2016. And the re what changed the game for me, so around 2016, my mom, uh, she had a clean bill of health. She went to the doctor because she wasn't feeling well. This eight months after her checkup, and she was diagnosed with stage three colon cancer, undetected eight months before that, but it was a really aggressive cancer, and it literally took her life within 13 months. 
So I'm thinking to myself, I said, okay, my mom is sick. She can't do anything about it. Who am I to take advantage of my health? And why can't, why shouldn't I, you know, I have a family, I have kids, I have a wife. I need to take better care of myself. So I really went on my bodybuilding spree again. And I dropped, I went from 270 down to 200 and, you know, just a few weeks ago, I was 220 pounds. I lost 50 pounds. Do I feel different? I don't. I still feel like the same me, but I can feel it. I can feel, you know, my, I can feel a difference in my clothing. I can feel a difference in my clothes. I can, you know, um, I can't say I'm more energetic. I've always been strong. I've always had the, the energy, but uh, I can say, you know, honestly, the difference is in my clothes. That's where I, I noticed the difference. Um, and then, you know, just, you know, I just gained 20 pounds. So I fluctuate between 20, uh, 220. And you know, last year I was actually down to 210 and 240, you know, during the winter time, I usually gain a little bit of weight to build on more muscle mass and then I drop it down. So yep. this coming Monday, I'm actually dropping back down to about 210, 205. Uh, I'm going to start my journey to drop that weight. And by June, I should be down to that, to that weight. And I'll be pretty shredded at 205, 210, like I was last year. But, you know, for the most part, um, does it provide me with a little, with a little more energy? Yes. But it, it's, you know, for me, I've always been in, into health and fitness. You know, I love to eat right. I love to work out. I haven't stopped that. And it just didn't show because I wasn't eating the healthiest. I was still in a gym, but I just wasn't eating the healthiest. So you notice all that extra weight on my body. Uh, I do feel better, like I look better, and my clothing fits a lot better. But you know, for the most part, um, I'm still, you know, it, you know, I'm gonna hustle, um, no matter what, no matter what the situation is. I'm still gonna keep it moving, if that makes any sense. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, when I, I got into the health, you know, I get. I lost some weight too. And I felt a huge energy boost. It helped me with my uh, real estate nice. investing career. So that, that's why I always ask you that. So I'm um, only got a couple more questions here. You know, cool, man. the one thing that not a lot of people know about you or is that you're a married man. You're very private. I understand that. Do you think your wife had a big impact on your success in real estate investing? Oh man. You know, I, my wife it has played a major part in my success. You know, they say every, for every successful man, there's a, there's a successful or strong woman behind him. Mm. You know, I can't agree with that statement much more than what it is. You know, I, I, you know, at the end of the day, you know, let me just tell you a little bit. My wife and I went to junior high school together and we really connected after high school. So it's been, you know, I'm, I'll be 39 in a couple of weeks. It's been 20 years that my wife and I have been together. We've been married for 14 of those years, going to be 15 years. Um, Congratulations. Thanks, man. And my wife is, you know, my wife is everything to me. She's my best friend. Um, she, no matter what, she has my back. When I was, when we had absolutely nothing, nothing, I mean, two nickels to rub together, she helped me to believe she reminded me of what my end goal was. Cause I used to tell her everything. This is what I want to do with my life. So she used to tell me, um, you know, when times got hard, she was there to just remind me. She's always backed me up. And I promised her when I, when we got married, I said, you will never have to work a day in your life. 
and she never had to work for anybody besides our company, obviously, but she never had to actually go out and get a job uh, since we started dating. Um, and it was primarily because um, she's always backed me up. She's always there for me. She always, um, she's always encouraging me and always helping me to, to remember what the end goal is for us as a family. She keeps me in line. And that's why I love my wife so much. So yes, you know, I would definitely say 110%. Um, my wife plays a, played a major role in my success in, in keeping me focused as well. That's why I always ask, you know, I, I, everyone sees your success and they need to know it wasn't all you alone. You know, a lot no. of people, a lot of investors tell me. Man, nobody has ever asked me that. I love that. Another guy we had, I'll tell you off air because um, I'm going to release this guest later. He said if it wasn't for his wife who was really conservative about like leveraging, going crazy, yep. that he would be dead broke. But if she controlled it, like he'd be in a job. It's just a yin and a yang. It's perfect. So That's it. um, I want to, I really want to end this with, you know, some advice. I ask this every single guest on the podcast here. So this is interesting because you actually have a 14 year old child that uh -huh. hopefully, I hope too, that they get into real estate investing. You know, I, I know a lot of and I tell, I tell 12 year olds all the time. I talk 12 year olds all the time. I said, you got to do real estate investing. You got to do this, you got to do this. They say, well, I'm in school. And, you know, I hear that complaint all the time. And what I tell them all the time, especially uh, for your daughter who says, oh, I'm in school, I'm in high school. I can't, I can't do real estate investing. Um, the only advice I could say is, you know, do a little bit of virtual school, you know, get out of the class a little, answer a bandit sign call. That's how I did it when I was 17. Uh, but if you were in your daughter's shoes, 14 years old, living in Brooklyn, New York, obviously I recommend, you know, graduate high school, you know, maybe do some virtual, but what would you do 14 years old with the 250 bucks in your bank account with the knowledge you have now, what would you do? That's a great, great question. And one thing I left out earlier, mm -hmm. I, at 14 years old, I was actually an intern in a real estate office, believe it or not. <laughs> So that was just, you know, I don't know if that has something to do with me get, getting into real estate. I don't know. It just, that's, that's one thing I did leave out was Carroll Gardens Association in uh, Brooklyn, New York. But what would I do at 14 with $250 to my name? The first thing I would do is I would invest into to some type of education. So there's plenty of courses out there you can buy for $97, you know, um, make sure that, or... If you don't spend the money on education, go to YouTube and educate yourself. Come on podcasts like this. Learn as much as you possibly can. Now, with $250, uh, what you can do is buy a list of, let's say, uh, vacant properties. Uh, there's plenty of software out there where you can get uh, with just $97 a month. You can buy you know, up to 10,000 records a month. Or, you know, take the time to go down to the courthouse and pull uh, potential, you know, water shutoff leads or uh, probate leads. Those are free. Take the $250 and invest it into some postage. If you do buy a list, you'll probably have about $150 left. Um, so what you can do is you can invest that in the postage. Uh, another thing you can do if you're, you know, if you have $250, if we, if we wanted to get really clear on things, invest it into some bandit signs or go driving for dollars, right? 
driving for dollars, you'll get the leads for free. But if you don't have a car, that's going to be a problem. But if you do have a car, uh, well, at 14 years old, you probably you probably don't have a car. So um, at the end of the day, with 250 bucks, you know, ask your parents if they can put uh, some money, well, put some bandit signs on a credit card for you and you provide them with the money, then ask them to take you around town and just stick them, stick those signs in the ground. You're going to get phone calls. Um, another thing you can do besides the uh, bandit signs, if you ask your parents to just drive you around town, you know, pay them, say, look, I'll give you 20 bucks in, in, in uh, gas money, drive me around and, um, you know, get as many vacant houses or distressed properties as possible and invest the difference into, um, into uh, postage. But yeah, I would most definitely start with driving for dollars or uh, bandit signs is a great way to start as well. Or, you know, buy a list and start calling people. You have to get over the fear of being on the phone. Those are three things that will take you a little bit of time, but it doesn't cost a lot of money to do it and it's not illegal. Um, bandit signs you have to be a little careful with, but you know it's not gonna get you in, into any real trouble. So either you drive for dollars, you do bandit signs, or you cold call uh, motivated sellers. All of them you can do with $250 to get started. Just understand it takes a little bit more time and it takes persistence to be able to make it happen. Uh, and just remember, it's not a, you're not spending $250. If things don't go well and you don't have, you, you know, you, you run out of your $250, take it as a $250 lesson. Look at what you did and do it better next time. Look at where you messed up. Do it better next time. Improve your skills. But remember, it's not, you're not spending the money. You're investing the money into yourself. That $250 can change your life, even if you don't make it back immediately. Just remember, you're planting seeds all the time. So that's what I would do with $250. Bucks. I also heard some of those kids at 14 should check out the Jamil Gibbs uh, YouTube channel. <laughs> Help <laughs> yeah, them out too. Plenty of, uh, <laughs> plenty of information on there, uh, youtube.com slash Jamel Gibbs, if you, want to, uh, if you want to check it out. I appreciate that, man. And uh, so can you explain what the REI Education Academy is? Yeah, so I started the REI Education Academy back in 2006, 2007. I wrote my first ebook, and I used to sell this ebook for $49, $47. Um, but today, the REI Education Academy is a coaching platform. We provide software for real estate investors, and we also provide home study training programs uh, that will allow the average real estate investor to go from where they are to where they want to be in real estate. Um, Again, the coaching platform is the gist of the entire program where you can literally become a coaching student, you know, based off of a, a, a particular level of uh, attention that you need. And we guide you to helping you get either your first deal or helping you maximize your profits in your real estate business. That's what the REI Education Academy platform is. Again, we have an entire academy uh, in our back office. We have software and we have hand-holding programs as well. Great. So uh, all your socials are actually going to be on the below under you. So, awesome. you know, if I want to get 
a hold of you, they can do that. The only thing that might not be under there is your podcast. How do people get a hold of your podcast? You can, if you're on Apple, just go to uh, Apple and just type in Jamel Gibbs, you know, J-A-M-E-L-G-I-B-B-S, uh, Jamel Gibbs Real Estate Investing Podcast. You can even go to uh, my webpage, reieducationacademy.com. And then up at the top, you'll see podcasts and you can just click on it and it'll take you to a page where you can listen to the podcast or you can click on, let's say Spotify or Apple on that page. Uh, we're across all major platforms with the podcast, but yeah, go to any platform and type in Jamel Gibbs. It should pop up for you. Definitely. I heard you're having a, a pretty good guest on soon. So you guys should check it out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, you know, people should get a hold of you, talk to you, get the podcast. I heard you had some great guys I mean, some guys I'm trying to get on too. I mean, the great Ron LeGrand's on there. So, you know, he always drops knowledge. So go check him out, you know, Check him on Instagram. He's showing more and more content, which is getting better. Uh, so any parting thoughts before we leave? You know, my, you know, one thing that I always tell, especially newer investors, just understand this. You have to take massive action in order to get yes. massive results. A lot of people have big aspirations for their life and their business. You know, you're never going to get there unless you start taking action. You can't climb a mountain. You know how you climb a mountain, Zach? One step at a time. Yep. So you have to take action. Uh, you have to do something in order to get to where you want to go. Think about it like this, and, I, and I'll keep this really short. If you have a goal, um, let's say your goal is to you know, make a million dollars a year in real estate. That's your goal, right? That's your destination. Real estate is the vehicle to help you get there, but who's driving the car? You are, right? So if you, if you are in, emer in an emergency situation right now, Life or death, you need to get to the emergency room, um, which is your destination. What happens? You get in a car, you put the car, uh, you start the car, you uh, put the car in drive, and you start your journey to the emergency room, right? Remember, it's a life or death situation. What happens if, you know, you turn down one street and there's a hurdle you need, let's say a tree fell down on that street and you can't, or there's backed up traffic. What are you going to do? Are you going to stop and give up? Absolutely not. This is a matter of life and death. You need to get to the emergency room. So what do you do? You find another route. And let's say you're going down a second route and, you know, there's a big pothole in the street and you can't get by it. Uh, what do you do? You find another route. Eventually, you jump over these hurdles, you will reach your destination. Same thing in business, right? So your destination is whatever your goal is. Your vehicle is real estate investing. You're going to understand that you're going to face hurdles. You're going to uh, need to jump over uh, different obstacles, but don't let that stop you. You know, times may get hard for you. You know, there, there's been a number of times, times has been hard for me and my business and we do pretty well, right? Uh, you know, I just told you about, you know, the time where I, uh, we did, we, we had a million dollars in business and then we lost everything, right? That's a major hurdle for us. Um, that's a tree falling down in the middle of the street, right? But that didn't stop me. I didn't give up. So you have to remember that you're going to face hurdles to get to your destination. The object is to never stop. Find another way, get better at what you do, and eventually you're going to reach that destination. If you just keep that in mind, take massive action you will get massive results. 100% guys. So check him out, YouTube, Instagram, everywhere. Links are below there. 
I'll see you guys in a couple of weeks when we get our next guest on. And I really appreciate you coming on. I can't wait to see what your future holds.